Genesis chapter 1, I'll be reading uh, for us uh, from verses 1 up until um, verse, chapter 2, verses 3. So that's Genesis chapter 1. Uh, if you have your Bible, um, please grab that. Um, if you don't have a Bible, uh, you can Google Genesis chapter 1. It's the very first book uh, in, the, in the Bible, in the Christian story. Uh, so please um, uh, turn there. As Simba said, as you turn to Genesis, we are kick-starting a new series. I'm quite um, excited about it. Anyone excited? Um, new series is to me, they're like wearing a brand new pair of shoes. It's like that feeling that you have. Uh, so we're hoping to hear from God, um, to learn from his word. Um, Genesis um, chapter 1 is where we are. This is the beginning of the Christian story. In the beginning, God. God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. As I continue to read, uh, please pay careful attention to the repeated phrases uh, in Genesis. Verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the, very, the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters uh, from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters and were, were under the expanse from the waters and were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place, and let the light dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth, and it was so. Verse 12, the earth brought forth vegetation, plants uh, yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which uh, is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let the be light in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the, from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them, be light, let them be light in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from darkness. And God saw it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let the birds fly um, above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. God, so God created the great sea 
creatures and every living creature that moves um, with, with which the waters swam, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Verse 22, and God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, fill the waters in the seas, and let the birds multiply on earth. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kind, livestock and creeping things and beasts on earth according to their kind. And it was so, and God blessed, God made the beasts of the earth according to their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. We're going to just pause it there because we're going to read uh, through the rest of that um, as, we, as we go on um, in our text. Um, by the way, I forgot to introduce myself. If you're new to our evening service, I'm David. Uh, I'm on staff here at Christ Church Midland, and it's a privilege to open God's word um, to us. Um, it is God's story, um, the story that's above all stories, the story that will change your life and my life. We titled the series Life um, as We Know It. And as Simba said, we want to see this grand narrative, this grand story that from the beginning of Genesis um, till the end of Revelation, God, um, the Christian story is about God dwelling with his people and redefining life for them as they know it. Um, God wants to be with you. God wants to transform your life um, as you know it, life as you live it. And my hope, our hope for this series is that, one, if you are a follower of Jesus, because there's two kinds of people this evening, uh, those who follow Jesus uh, and those who would regard themselves as not followers of Jesus. Um, my hope is that as we engage with this series, I'm setting it up. We are going to come to our text, okay? So bear with me. Um, as we uh, go through the series, um, you begin to see uh, your life differently. Um, that office place where he has placed you uh, with those group of friends, uh, in that environment. God has put you there for a purpose, uh, and we want to discover what that purpose is. Not only has he put you there, but he wants to be the center of your life. Amen. He wants to be at the very center of your life. And if I were to ask you this evening, think about the coming week. Um, think about Monday morning, Tuesday morning. There's 168 hours in the week. That's not rocket science. Google can tell you that. Um, there's, not, um, there's only 168 um, hours in a week. If I were to ask you, how many of those do you dedicate to God? To God? I wonder what, how you would answer that. Uh, perhaps you think, well, I, I make sure that every week I dedicate time to come to church. Um, I never miss the evening service. Uh, in fact, I not only come to the evening service, I also go to style. So style is our young adult um, group. Uh, so you, you go to that, you're so involved, and you're dedicated um, to God. Um, but one of the things that you uh, come to see as you read the scriptures, as you understand the role of who Jesus is in your life and my life, is that God is not just interested in those three, four hours in your week. He's interested in all of it. He wants to be at the center of all of it. From the time your alarm clock goes off, uh, you kick your blankets um, and then you 
hit the shower. You don't need to shower if you're anything like me, because um, right now the office space is your, 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 your next um, room. So you can just go into your room, into that meeting, and as you open the laptop, you greet it with those wonderful words, I hope this email finds you well. <laughs> After the, 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 the responding to your Outlook messages, you go on to Teams at 9 o'clock, and it's meeting after meeting. Then lunchtime, you eat noodles or Uber Eats, depending on what time of the month is um, or how close payday is. Um, all of that, all of that interaction with your colleagues, God wants all of it. God is in charge of all of it, and he wants Christ to rule over all of it. Last week, we were reminded by Reggie, if you missed that sermon, please go online uh, and listen to that sermon, that Jesus is king. The resurrection of Jesus has crowned him as king. I need to put this thing here because I'm an African. I have all the time in the world, so I need to um, not, uh, not go on and on and on. I do have notes, but the spirit leads. Amen. <laughs> So if you, if you are a Christian, hopefully this series will challenge you to think, man, how do I live my 168 uh, hours of my week to the glory of God? If you're not a Christian, can I just applaud you for being open into coming to a Christian space, um, into hearing what God has to, uh, to say for you? And my hope for you is that you'd come to realize that you cannot live your full potential as a human being. Uh, you cannot live fully your purpose unless you understand God's purpose for your life. Um, that's my hope. So if you have your Bibles, keep um, it open to Genesis chapter 1. We are going to go into it, I promise you. Um, I'm going to pray for us that God would help us. Father, indeed, you are King of kings. You are Lord of lords. That there is no one uh, above you. Lord, we thank you that if you are king, then we are not. Uh, I pray that we would come to realize that. I pray that our lives would mean that. I pray that you would empower us by your spirit to hear your word, um, that it would, it would renew us, um, and it would challenge us to live differently with you as king uh, of our lives. So I pray tonight that above all, Jesus would be made much of, um, that he would be shown as king, the king that he is, uh, so may my words bring glory to him. In Jesus' name, amen. So stories are indeed powerful things because stories shape how you and I think um, and some of the stories we consume without knowing, isn't it? Um, but stories are powerful. They, they shape who we, who we are. And I think in every culture there's a story about who God is, um, who God is, where we come from as a people, why we are here in the world, and where we are going. So who God is, why, who are we, why we are here, and where are we going. A story is told uh, by the Ashanti tribe. It is the story of God. Uh, they call God Nyame in Ashanti, uh, as Google tells me. Um, the story says that a uh, long, long time ago, uh, when the stones were soft, and animals could speak. Um, Nyame lived close by to his people. Uh, so Nyame, the heavens were close by, and Nyame was close um, to his people. Now one day a woman was pounding fufu. Uh, fufu, for those who don't know, uh, is, uh, it's like 
pup, basically, that's pounded from this root, right? Uh, so she was pounding uh, with a pestle and mortar. Kika uh, Lelua, forgot that thing. Uh, but you guys know it, uh, pesta and mortar. And as she was pounding, she kept pounding and pounding and pounding. And she was poking Nyame. Uh, and Nyame got irritated with this uh, woman uh, and ended up as the great spider that he is in the story, climbing up on a rope far, far away from his people. When the woman saw that Nyame had left, uh, she told her children and her grandchildren, gathered them, and said to them that they must build a tower going up to Nyame uh, so that they can go up and continue pounding uh, their fufu up in the tower. And the story goes that as they put the last stone uh, on that tower, it collapsed and many fell and died. And I guess perhaps in that culture, to try to reach God is a very dangerous thing. But there, there, there is this understanding that there was a time that God stayed close to his people. There was a time that he communed with his people, uh, but people did something to anger Nyame uh, such that he would leave them. Uh, there's this African story in every different culture, and the more uh, we go on uh, in the series, I'll tell you more stories, uh, particularly the Tswana stories, because I grew up hearing those stories about God uh, and his people, and this broken relationship that we have with God. Uh, and there's this understanding in most African stories of this nature that things would be so much different had we not angered Nyame, had we not angered Mudimu. I wonder what that story is uh, in your culture. Perhaps call one of your elders and find out what those stories are. And often the stories that we tell are related so much with the values that we hold as a culture. Uh, So how we behave, uh, how we uh, structure our society to appease God or the gods uh, so that they would make life well in this world. Now, you may not be familiar with those kind of stories. Um, You may be familiar with another story, the Western story. Um, It also tells a story about who God is, where we come from as a people, who we are, and where we are going uh, as a people. Uh, In the Western story, uh, everything that we can see and touch and feel is what reality is. Uh, Any other thing apart from that is not real. So the supernatural is not real. God is not real. God in this story is something or somebody that people used to believe in when they wanted to manipulate each other back in the day. Now, as Frederick Nietzsche would say um, a couple of years ago, God is dead. As he looked at the state of uh, Europe, he thought to himself, there is a time is coming and it is now where people will no longer have a regard for God. And so the Western story is that God is dead. Where do we come from? Well, we were created from a big bang and somehow we evolved into who we are today. And if God is not in the picture, then he cannot tell us how to live our lives. We are the masters of our own destiny and civilization. And the more we advance in scientific knowledge, the closer we are to to perfection. Now, how far are we uh, from perfection, I may ask? Around the time that Genesis chapter 1 was written, there were many other stories that were told about the world, about God, 
about people in that world and about where they were going as a people. One of the stories is the story called Enuma Elish. Um, it is a story, the Babylonian story, and the way they explain how the world came to be. Listen to this. Uh, there used to be a time where there were higher gods and lower gods. The lower gods decided, we're tired of saving the higher gods. Let's go to war against, against them. They killed one of the higher gods. The higher gods got angry and wanted vengeance. And so there was a war in the realm of the gods. And then Marduk, the great god, struck one of the lower gods um, in, uh, with an arrow. And, and the, the, the god died. And from that carcass of the god, the world was created. And after the world was created, uh, the lower gods continued to serve their higher gods. But when they got tired, Maduk decided to create human beings. Uh, so in this story, people exist to serve the gods. And they bring them food. They build houses for them. That's why ancient people were building temples. They sacrificed to the gods. It is a scratch, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back type of situation. Uh, the gods exist. They're like 12-year-olds who get angry. If you don't feed them, they're not going to give you um, food. But if you continue that system, um, life goes on. So they didn't really love the gods or trust the gods, but they just lived to manipulate them for their own good. Um, so the story of Genesis comes into that kind of thinking and presents us with a picture of a different God, a picture who has a different plan for us. If you, uh, you see on your seat there, now we get into Genesis, right? With that in mind, uh, we get into Genesis, and we're going to see three things from Genesis. I hope you're still with me. If you're with me, say amen. amen. The first thing we're going to see is that God has ordered this world with us in mind. Now, that's different from any other thinking past and present. God has ordered this world with us in mind. The second thing is that God wants us to rule the world that he has made. The last thing is that God wants us to rule under his rule. God has ordered this world with us in mind. God wants us to rule this world and he has uh, this world that he has made and God wants us to rule the world under his rule. That is what we see here in Genesis, and we're going to plunge into it. Now, let me say, there's so many things and so many debates that we can go on and on about with regards to Genesis. But this evening, I set it up for you. I want you to think about those guys as they thought about their gods, their system. I want you to think about your world, how we think about God. And I want you, as we approach Genesis, to see, one, the repetitions that are there, Two, um, the, the, the structure. Now, you might have seen it earlier on. Um, the structure of, um, of Genesis. There's a point that the author is trying to bring to us. Um, so there are many things that we can ask like, uh, from the text, but we're not going to go into that because that would be a long, a long uh, lecture. People spend uh, many days, hours, um, dealing with just Genesis, but we want to see repetitions, we want to see what they teach us about who God is, um, and we want to see uh, the structure of, um, of Genesis, particularly 
of the days and how they are arranged. Are you with me? This is where you engage your thinking caps, not that you have been not engaging them. But as we get into the text, I want you to be following me. Let's dive, dive into chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, in the beginning, uh, we see God creating the heavens and earth. Notice that it's not like the other stories. Uh, there's no war here. There's no battle that God is facing. He wants to create, and he, he, he chooses to create, not because he needed people to serve him, as we read along in Scripture, that God doesn't dwell in human houses, nor is he served by human hands. This God is, is there, and he creates out of his own goodness. Uh, verse 2 says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, there's a lot of things that we might not um, pick up from, from there, uh, but as I said, we're seeing the Creator God um, creating the world. Verses 2, there's many debates about what um, without form and void means, uh, but the more you read, um, especially the more you investigate those two words uh, in the rest of Scripture, um, is this, this idea that the world was an in, uninhabitable place, Sekhua, amen. It means that it was not in a state that human beings um, could, um, could dwell in. Now, if you go around Midrand, you'd see um, a lot of places being built up. Uh, you'd see the mess that they are in. Um, in such a way that it is not inhabitable, uh, but there's something there that's happening. The construction workers are, are there uh, doing the work of creation. Uh, so it is an uninhabitable place. It's not a place where human life can flourish. But as I said to you, um, if you continue to read, um, you'll see that on day one, uh, and let's see these repetitions, Uh, As they come up, there's a pattern there of God said, have a look at verse 3, and God said, have a look at uh, verse 6, and God said, have a look at verse 9, and God said, 11, and God said, verse 14, and God said, and God said, verse 20, verse 24, verse 26, God said. What is the other repeated thing? Let there be. We see that in verse 3. We see that in verse 6, let there be. We see that in verse 9, let the waters. Uh, we see that on and on and on. God speaks uh, things into uh, existence. Uh, we see also uh, God calling and blessing, uh, repeated time and time again. We see every time he says, and it was so. Uh, verse 6, uh, rather verse 7 at the end and it was so. Verse 9 at the end, and it was so. Verse 11 at the end, and it was so. Verse 15, and it was so. And on and on, God speaks, and he says, let there be, and it is so. Notice the pattern. We're not going to go into the details of the things that he is creating, but notice that, um, that ongoing pattern. Uh, God speaks, he says, let there be, and it's so. And what does he say after that? And he saw that it was good. Uh, verses, verses, um, I, I, I missed my place. Yeah, verse 4. And he saw that the light was good. Uh, the end of verse 10, 
and God saw it was good. The end of verse 12, and God saw it was good. End of verse 18, and it was good, and on and on it goes. And it was good, and it was good, and it was good. Now, one of the things that when you read scripture, um, especially Genesis 1, that you see is that there's a pattern in the first three days about God forming this place, this world, okay? He forms it, and then in day four, five, and six, he fills it, okay? Forming and filling. Uh, Day one, he forms. um, Have a look there at day one. In verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said, um, God saw that the light was good. That is day 1. Have a look at day 3 in verse 14. And God said, let there be light in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the, from the night. And, them, and let them be signs for seasons and for days and years. So God creates Time in day one, and then he fills it with the heavenly bodies, the sun and the stars and the moon. Lesser, lesser light just simply means the moon. Uh, greater light is the sun. Uh, he creates those things. He fills it in his creation so that there will be an order. He orders out of chaos. There will be an order of years, seasons, and weeks, and you and I are bound up in the system. Bazalot, are you still with me? Amen. Amen. Day two, um, notice what it says, and we're not going to go into every um, day, but notice that he makes the waters and he separates the waters, the waters below and the waters above. The Hebrews thought to themselves, it rains, so there must be water there, and then there must be waters below. Uh, So in their world, that's what they mean there. So notice that he creates the waters in day two, But what does he do in day five? Somebody show me where day five is. Verse 20, too slow. And God said, let the waters swarm with the swarms of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth and across the spans of the heavens. So God creates the heavens and the waters in day two, and he fills them in day five with living creatures. Um, So it's as if you're creating this house down here, the construction workers Um, are working to build a house, then we fill it with furniture. Now God says, or rather if you're building a house, let's let's make a dining room where people will eat, right? Um, And then you fill it with chairs uh, so that people can sit in there. That's the same idea we see here in Genesis. Same with day three, um, with the creation of the land. Um, In day six, we see... Um, have a look at it. Day six, somebody help me. Verses 24. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to its kind. Notice it's feeling the dry land. Livestock and creeping things and the beasts of the earth and according, according to its kind, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kind and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to his kind. And God saw 
that it was good. Uh, so God looks at the world that he's created and it functions the way that he wants it to function. Uh, he forms it and fills it. He forms the house, as it were, and he fills it with stuff uh, to occupy it, being the living creatures uh, and all of those uh, things. But what I want you to notice is the purpose for why he creates this house. Okay, so if you're creating a house, you're not just crazy about building, but there is a purpose in mind. And the more we understand that purpose for God in our world, the more you and I will find ourselves in the story um, of God. Have a look at verse, um, verses 26. And God said, let us make men in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So the first thing that we see there, and I think that's our longest point, is that God creates this world with who in mind? With people in mind because he forms his world and fills it so that people can come rule over it, uh, which brings us to our next point, that God wants, to, wants us to rule over the world that he has created. Have a look at um, the difference between um, earlier on, earlier on in verse 22, notice that God blessed them, blessed the, the living creatures and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters um, in the sea uh, and Fill the waters in the sea. But notice that with human beings, he goes further um, to give value to us. Okay? Have a look at verses um, 26 again. Then God said, let us create man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. God wants us to rule. Look at your neighbor and say, God wants you to rule. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth, all the earth, not part of it, all of it, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, and so God created man in his, in his, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, and it comes up over and over again in Genesis, which we're going to see as we work our way through it. Verse 28, and he blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, um, with seeds in its, in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And so, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every uh, green plant for you. And it was so, and God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very, very good. Because at the pinnacle of God's creation is you and I. God wants us to rule over the world that he has created. God made us in his image so that we rule over the creation that he has created. And the question you should be asking is, what does it mean to be in God's image? You see, this goes against 
the Babylonian kind of thinking where the gods created people to be their servants. Um, God wants to partner with people um, in this regard. The God of Genesis is the God who wants to put people, not to serve him, but so that he can have them enjoy the place that he's given them. Notice for vegans, um, I think there's contest, it's contested whether or not um, we can eat meat there uh, before the fall of men, but that's another sermon for another day. Let's just say rib eye steak is very good. So being made in the image of God, um, again, this idea is rooted in ancient thinking. Um, the image, the word there simply means um, like a statue or a representation. Um, so in ancient worlds, um, the, the kings were said to be image, bearers of the image of God. So kings were image bearers. They were representative of the gods here on earth. Look at your neighbor and say to your neighbor, you are a king. Now that is not some um, crazy motivational speaking. It's in the text. Um, God puts us as people. This is revolutionary for those people that God would say that mere human beings and not kings are made in his image. That is revolutionary, but that is the God of Genesis who creates people um, to be his rulers right here on earth. Uh, so being uh, image bearers is this idea of being representatives of God in this world. Um, it is um, in ancient times uh, when kings wanted to show you that they rule. Let's say the king from Puking, um, Puking is in Rustenburg, um, set up a kingdom that expanded even to Palabora. Palabora is in Limbopo, um, the king of Pukeng ruling over. You guys follow me? Are you with me? Amen. Um, if he wanted to show his authority, he would put up a statue and carve it out. That's what the Hebrew word means there, to cut out. Um, he would cut out a statue and go place it in Palabora. Even though those guys didn't know him or have never seen them, when they looked at the statue, they would know that this king rules even here. God creates our world, puts human beings such that you and I, when we look at um, each other, we would know that God is in charge of this world and he's put human beings, and this is a crazy idea, as his image bearer, as, as his representatives on earth. That is why idolatry in the Old Testament is so abhorrent. Is that a word? God hates it so much because it dehumanizes us. Uh, it devalues um, the, the kind of investment God has put in us, that we are his image bearers. So you create something that looks like a reptile to represent God. Don't you know that he's created you to be his representative here on earth? This, by the way, this is the basis and the foundation for most of the controversial issues in our world today. The reason why it's not okay to kill a baby is because they are made in the image of God. They represent God in this world. The reason why tribalism, sexism, uh, racism, all of those isms are wrong and abhorring. Yo, that word, 
they are hated by God is because God has made us in his image as his representatives. Because people will then argue, oh, but what if someone is like old and they're struggling? Um, surely we should help them and euthanize them. That person is made in the image of God as a fellow representative of God. That is why all of those things, pornography, gender issues, those things are mocking um, our value as human beings. The fact that God placed us here uh, for his own good, um, the fact that he placed us here as rulers on uh, his behalf. So the first thing we saw, God created our world with us in mind. God wants us to rule his world as his image bearers. And lastly, God wants us um, to rule his world under his rule. Now you'll notice that in, the, in that structure, day seven is not forming and filling. Day seven, have a look at it in chapter two. And thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God has always desired a relationship with his people. The way I used to think of this um, is that God he goes to work and then by day seven gets tired and he just takes a chill pill and he rests, okay? Um, maybe on the eighth day he created Tuana people. Who knows? <laughs> uh, but God folds his arms and he does nothing. But if you were reading the story as a person living back in the day, you would know that God's rested in temples. You'd know that in every temple there's an image of a God, except for the temple in Israel. It has no figure, it has no idol, it has no image in it. Why? Because who are his image, images of God? You and I. So as you are reading this, uh, you'd know, and I urge you for homework because we don't have time, to read um, Psalms, you have a pen and paper there, Psalms 132. And notice the language that it uses um, when it talks about Zion. Zion is where the mountain of God was, uh, where the temple of God was. How it speaks about Zion and the dwelling place of God. Uh, because as we read on in the story, we see that God establishes his rule and he comes to rest in the temple. Resting in the temple is not God folding his hand. Resting in the temple means that he's taking control of our world. Resting in the temple means God is now on his throne. And when he's on his throne, he's not, he's not chilling there. He's running his world. It is the union building. The temple is the union building of, of, of the world, of, of God. This is where he controls our world. And the writer of Genesis wants us to know that the world is God's temple. Uh, where are his, where is his image? You and I. Uh, and we're going to see next week, as we look into Genesis chapter 2, the temple language going on and on, and the role of Adam and Eve in that temple. 
So God dwells in his temple. Um, another commentator says that, um, and this is I found helpful, that the world is not merely designed for human habitation, um, but as God's own dwelling place. God and man are intended to live together in total harmony. Back to the building story, God creates it's this house. It has chairs. Chairs are for people, right? He has people in mind. Um, the table is for people to eat. So there's function and intentionality in the world that God creates. He creates it for people so that they can rule over it, so that they can continue to work the land, to be fruitful, and take whatever they, they, they are working to the rest of the world. And that's what we're going to see um, next week. But a house never becomes a home, Bazalwani, until people occupy, as the CIC would say. Um, God needs to occupy that space. He needs to occupy it uh, so that it becomes a home, a home where he can dwell with his people. As Gordon uh, Wenham says, God and men are to live together in total harmony. They are to understand that he has placed them in this world for his purposes, that he is God who is in control, who is sitting on the throne over their lives. Amen. God is in control and should be in control over our lives. We will see where the story went wrong in a couple of um, days. But why is it important for us to know that this is a temple? Well, because you and I live as if this is our house. I don't know if you remember that story of uh, the old granny, Magogo. The kids were having fun. I don't know what they were watching. I think it was MTV. Uh, they, were, <laughs> they were dancing, right? Magogo came, and if you grew up in a house where there's a strong matriarch, matriarchal system, like I did, you'd know that the word of the grandmother is final. Uh, grandmother came, switched off the TV, there was complete silence, and he said, Mo, ha, ka, mo. Yeah, this is my place. It's my place. I, I'm in control here. I'm in charge, and there's nothing you can do. If you switch on the TV, you know what's going to happen to you. God is not a tyrant. Um, God is a, a loving God who creates, and he knows what's best for us. I wonder if you believe that, um, especially if you are uh, not a believer, but especially as a believer. Do you believe that God wills what is good for you? Do you believe that if he's in control of your life, things will function as they are supposed to? I wonder if we believe we believe that, and that God establishing his temple and his dwelling place means that he's taking control and he should be in control. And that is how life is supposed to be, yet that is not life as we know it. Listen to this author. He says this is how we tend to treat, the, treat God or this idea of God. Um, he says we banish him to the hidden corners of our lives while we amble. I had to Google that word. It means to stroll through life pursuing our own ambitious goals driven by narcissism, which is a love of self, hedonism, a love of pleasure and the dedication to seeking pleasure, and materialism, a love of stuff, and refusing to allow God to bridle our self-sufficiency. This is you, this is me. Um, this concept of God, we have a distorted view of it. Um, we think either he doesn't exist, so he must shut up, we shut him up, or we domesticate him. 
if he does exist, then he exists to save me. He exists for my good. Um, I can manipulate him. I can give 10% to the church, amen. You should pay your, 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 your money to the church because that's how the work goes. But the, the work of Christ Church Midland depends on the generous giving of God's people. Amen. But that is not our way to manipulate God uh, as is the culture as we see it today. Um, so this distorted view of God, the writer of Genesis wanted to correct it in the ancient world. And I think it has so much relevance for us. That when we push him out of the picture, you see through our Genesis, the writer wants to show us that, yeah, human beings are civilized, they're getting more advanced, but the more advanced they get, the more murderers they become, uh, the more violent they become. We're going to see that in chapter 4 of Genesis. Um, God wants us to see that, yeah, they fill in the earth, but it has consequences, um, in chapter 11, you see the height of this civilization. These guys build a tower that will be a place where the gods can ascend. Okay? But the writer, there's a play on word there, on the word name. So they want to build a name for themselves. So they're building this thing so that God can come down, so that he can come bless them. So they're not thinking about, God, we exist for you. But no, he exists, you exist for us. Come down, come bless us, come see what we've done, and come bless us. Um, but we see that God frustrates them in their pursuit for their own name because he wants to glorify his own name. Uh, because that is where the good life is found, when God's name is glorified and not ours. We see that in the following chapter of Genesis 12, God establishes his name uh, through the line of Shem. Shem means name in Hebrew. Uh, and he establishes his line through a man called Abraham. He's not about you and I setting up our own names. We want to either shut him up or domesticate him. He would not have any of that, the God of Genesis. Uh, he's a loving God who wants everything to center around him. He has ordered his world for us. He's ordered us it for, for us to rule it. But he's ordered it in such a way that we need to rule under him. And we are about to end. Someone say amen. amen. And as we end off, uh, the more you read the, the Christian story, uh, you see that God's plan throughout, yes, is to dwell with his people and to redefine life for them as they know it. Uh, you'll see as you read um, Ephesians that God's plan throughout history has been to sum up everything under one head, which is Christ. To bring everything together under the headship of Jesus Christ, uh, that Jesus would become the ruler of our lives, that he would redefine life for us as we know it. Um, God once again dwells with his people in the person of Jesus Christ. Um, he goes on the cross to die for our sins, to correct our rebellion. We're going to see this. Um, I'm getting ahead of myself in two weeks' time as you look at Genesis 3. But Jesus becomes king, and that's what we saw last week. Jesus is risen. He's king. And if he's king, um, Paul reminds the Christian that they must remember what this king did for them in chapter 1, 2, 3 of Ephesians. I love Ephesians. It's my favorite um, epistle, letter. Um, and in chapters 4, 5, 6, he tells them how God wants to reorder 
their lives. He tells them, now that you are this, go on to live this way in the world. Go be different because there's a power that is working in your life. The very same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in your life to live the Christian life. Uh, Now, can I ask you, just as we end off, um, I want to remind you that the point of all of this is that the more and more we are in tune with God's plan for our lives, the more and more we discover God's plan for our world, the more you and I will live out our purpose in it. The more you discover God's plan for our world, the more you live out your purpose in that world. Now, let me ask you this question. If this was true, how would it transform the 168 days, um, hours of your life? How would it transform that? Let me pray for us. Father, once again, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit um, that transforms our lives. Thank you that that spirit is at work in those who believe, to empower them to live the Christian life, to empower them to live with Christ as King, to empower them to live the 168 uh, hours of their lives with Jesus as King. And as we launch off into this week where you've placed us, I pray that we would remember that you are in charge, that you are in control, uh, that the risen Lord is king of our lives, that we would surrender our self-sufficiency and our autonomy and surrender it to Jesus. I pray for someone who's not a believer, who's grappling, who's inquiring, um, that they would come back, um, that they would know that you are a trustworthy God who's not seeking um, his own good, uh, but who seeks our good, that you are trustworthy. Um, I pray that we would come to that place. I pray that as we come to that place, our lives would be changed, and that we would be empowered to reorder our lives around Christ our King. This we pray in his name and for our good. Amen. 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 Thank you for joining us this week. Uh, please read um, chapter 2 of Genesis uh, as we um, again uh, pick it up from there, uh, as we look at uh, God's, um, God's temple, basically, um, that we're going to see in Eden. So next week, um, please um, prepare for that. Uh, Psalm 132, if you missed it, particularly verses 7 and 8 and verses 13 to 14. Go and look at how it speaks about the dwelling of God and the temple. May God bless you and, 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 and make his face shine upon you. Um, amen.